much in the neutral zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies where we talk about Star Trek loudly, or in case of our previous episode, one of us talks loudly, the two of us speak very quietly, and at great <laughs> length, I am your host as ever, Kareen, joined by Kim Hello, and Ari. Hello. And today, this is season two, episode eight, I Mud, or as I like to call it, Why Mud. <laughs> Yeah. So this is kind of a special episode in that it is a reoccurring guest character, which I would say never happens in original series. I'm pretty sure I'm right. I will fight you. Mm. I wasn't planning on arguing. No, I think you're right. He's the only one who's like a recurring feature guest star. Mm-hmm. Like, do you get guys who come in who are like in multiple, like characters who are in multiple episodes that aren't part of the main cast, but he's sort of the first one that's like... Look who's back. Yeah. <laughs> He's even got a little theme. That's true. But of all the kind of one-off characters that we see, it seems like such an odd decision to bring back Mud. And we are interchangeably going to say Harry and Henry because I can't keep it straight. And I don't care that much about him to give him a proper first Well, I don't name. think we're actually supposed to care about him. I mean, he's basically brought in as a focus for our dislike. No, we are supposed to find him funny. He had wacky hijinks music can... playing when he was on screen. Well, yeah, we are supposed to think he's hilarious. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're meant to think he's likable, though. No, he is the Falstaff of Star Trek. He is mm. the jolly, slightly corrupt gentleman who needles our young prince, in this instance, Kirk, and gets him into these scrapes. Except that every single one of our main characters thinks that he's completely contemptible. No, I think they actually think he's quite charming. And the stuff that goes on around them, I think, is supposed to feel like, back at you, pranks. Yeah. And it's very... I never saw him that way. Really? Mm-mm. You I thought mean, him as a, a straight up-and-up villain. Well, no. I mean, he's a funny villain, but he's a funny villain in the line of, like, um, uh, Lucius from Stargate Atlantis. or uh, like, Lucius yeah. from Stargate Atlantis is one of the most repellent characters in he television was. history. But he's in that sort of vein where he's like, he's kind of funny, but he's still very contemptible. No. He's a contemptible creep, and it's one but of those... These guys can be funny. They, they can. can. Harry Mudd is not. It's, oh, it's, I don't personally think he is, but I understand how someone from the 60s would have thought they it's was. It's this trope. It is the trope, that, and the writers seem to think that it's very, very funny. The writers or the showrunners or whoever is continuing this trope of, like, this unethical but jolly man who only has his own self-interest at heart. I don't think that either of them are redeemable, Lucius or Mudd. Oh, no. Well, no. Lucius was a straight-up rapist. Yeah. Yes. So, so was, uh, Harry Mudd maybe as well. Yeah. Um, the word that comes to my mind when thinking about Harry Mudd is we're a rapscallion. We're supposed to think he's, like, delightfully wacky. He's a space pirate. Yeah. And he's awful. He's not competent enough, I don't think, to have the word pirate attached to his he name. He does have a twirly mustache, though. We, I mean, we went over this in the last episode, and he has all of the hallmarks of a pirate, down to, like, the puffy shirt. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't like him, and I don't, I've said this before in past episodes, I don't like when Star Trek breaks out the wacky hijinks music and cues up to tell me it's funny. I'm less likely to think it's funny when they do that. Kim does not like funny. I don't mind funny, and there were parts of this that I actually really enjoyed because I felt like they were trying to reach into that Shakespearean vein. Yeah. The part where Mud is saying, oh, I'm a businessman, and Kirk says, oh, he's a thief. Like, that, I that, love, I love back that and forth, well, that's, I really that's enjoyed. what I mean, though. It's like, the... the the members of the feather, the members of Starfleet, they're always they're held to be tight. They're meant to be very morally upright, right? Upright and uptight. Like, you can laugh at someone and still want to put them in prison for life, and they yes. definitely do. Yes, they do. They they don't. I don't think they're going to give him any leniency. No, 
It's like, I'm going to laugh at you, and then I'm going to throw you in jail. So it's well not doing, like so. they don't like him, but they also don't really consider him a threat. Which ultimately, he's usually not, because yeah, he's but also this, not very bright. In this case, it was a threat, because well, they very yes. nearly lost their ship and ended up prisoners on this planet of... Robo-planet. Yeah, robo-planet. And he, oh my gosh, he looks a lot like Robotnik. Yes? Yes? With yes. like yeah, the, 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 the mustache, the mustache, anyway. and the kind of oh my gosh! This if he is, had a pair of goggles, this maybe. is where Sonic the Hedgehog comes from. <laughs> I know nothing of what Doctor Robotnik. Wow, I'm blowing my own mind today. Hmm. I also want to note that this episode is clearly like the first of many Asimov references. The title of this episode: I Mud I Robot. I Mud I Robot, which was published in the collection was published in 1950, I think. Same year oh. as the Turing Test. Oh. Oh. So does this have any parallels with iRobot? I guess, well, technically, well, it is about a, robots. iRobot is a collection of short stories. Okay. And, um, does it introduce the robotic laws? So the three laws were actually originally introduced in a short story called Runaround, which I believe was part of the iRobot collection, so they could have been referencing it. Okay, so first robotic law is... Okay, a robot may not harm or by an action allow a human being to come to harm. Robot must obey the orders given to it by a human being, except in the case of it um, contradicting the first, the first law. Yeah. And the third law, I believe, is a robot may preserve must preserve its own existence, except in cases where it may contradict laws one and two. So technically, these robots follow the robotic laws. So far, pretty much all the Star Trek robots we have seen do. There are some glaring exceptions, like um, uh, isn't the Chain Landru? Oh my gosh, there are so many evil robots. Yeah, this is are... like two in a row, is it yeah, not? Yeah, this is the other reason that I didn't like this episode. This is like fucking I don't think evil they, robots again. I actually again. don't think that these ones count as evil robots. I actually no. think these ones are following. There the is definitely laws. an argument for them following the the three laws. There's also the zeroth law, and I'm trying to remember when. Um, it was after the, the Robots of Dawn trilogy, but there's also the Zeroth Law, which was actually, I believe, come up with by Daniel Oliva, who is the robot character in the Robots of Dawn trilogy, um, which is a robot must protect humanity. Ah, that's a good law to have. Yeah, and I could certainly make an argument for the idea that the robots, although technically I'm going to say that they are androids, not robots. What's the difference? An android is um, a robot that is meant to look like or pass for a human. And these okay. ones clearly are, like... Uh, Data is an android. Well, some of them are, anyway. But an android just basically has to look for or be intended to pass for a human being. So, like, Data Mm -hmm. is an android, but R2-D2 is a robot. Maybe. (laughs) No, R2-D2 is definitely a sentient decision-making Well, that's the other argument. We have had this conversation many times. (laughs) But there, again, is the whole thing, right? Where there's another level to this argument where... Depending on how sentient you believe a robot slash android, and I'm making air quotes when I'm saying both of these words, by the way. Yeah, we can feel them on air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whether either of those words is technically applicable, like the word robot definitely implies a level of automation. Okay. As opposed to something post-singularity that is making its own decisions or um, generating its own conclusions. Okay. So they're definitely androids, but... I don't know beyond that, because we don't actually get that much information to their background. No, because this is season two, where background doesn't matter. Who needs backstory? All you need is a robot and a Kirk to outsmart it. Oh, Again, this is in the long tradition of Kirk outsmarting a robot. I this do... time through interpretive dance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, another where Kirk talks a computer to death. 
not just one computer, an entire civilization of android robot By things. my count, what was it, 100,000 of them? Something he said like 200,000, over 200,000. Over 200,000? Although at least in this case... Death count is high on this episode. Well, they don't kill the robots. No, they didn't kill them. Didn't and they? One of them smoked out of his head. I, I didn't. Ca- I also don't count those as deaths because they're not <gasps> alive. Oh my gosh, you're a roboticist? Yeah. Alright. Technically, 2,704. <laughs> so, um, at least though, the, the, the talking so much death due to inflexible logic actually makes sense in this episode because they introduce it fairly early on that their decision making is very rigid. Yeah, fine. As opposed sure. to later on where they sort of just go, oh, light bulb, it's a machine. I can totally logic it to death. After the last few episodes where nothing has made sense, I am past the point where I want to put any effort in to trying to make sense where the writers haven't bothered. I actually thought they thought out the way that the androids worked together to a reasonable degree given the understanding of the time. Like, no, I actually like yeah. that. They were all kind of part of one giant collective brain, which was controlled by one So what they actually were like the board. Because I spent the afternoon looking at the history of computing and artificial intelligence. Um what they were were <laughs> Of course you did. Rudimentary <laughs> did neural... your workplace know this? I was it was in between things. Um but this was what I would think I would call them is a rudimentary neural network. So that was an early stage of um, artificial intelligence computing in the 40s, 50s, and probably the early 60s, although the 60s and the 70s were sort of the golden age where someone went, we can totally build an artificial brain. This was after World War II and the code-breaking machines. Yes. Um, when they realized that the brain basically worked the way that a computer would work. It was on, off, one, zero. Yeah. And they went, oh, well, we can totally transpose that to artificial intelligence and we'll make a mechanical brain and use it for problem solving and decision making and... They were totally convinced they were going to have a fully functioning level of human intelligence, artificial intelligence, by the 80s. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, but this was, like, the when this episode aired, we would have been right in the middle of the, like, when everyone was so sure that artificial intelligence was going to be a thing, and it was just entering popular culture, and the huh. idea of neural networks and artificial intelligence and intelligent machines was, like, brand new and Money was being poured into it by DARPA, and so it would have been like it would have been very, very topical at the time. And it's really interesting as a historical artifact. Okay, okay, no, this pushes this episode into interesting. Yeah, mm, I glazed over a bit there. I'm sorry. I just... <sighs> technology. <laughs> yes, technology. What's... Technology. What's up with that? <laughs> In a science. <laughs> Fiction episode. So passe. So boring. Right? How dare we? Yeah. So this is sadly one of the last episodes that we're going to be seeing George Takei in. He takes on, after this one, a nine episode hiatus. (gasps) Yeah. So Kim, I just wanted to alert you to this so that you're aware. Oh my God. Thank you for the warning. That would have been traumatic. Why did he take a nine episode hiatus? He was off filming Green Berets. Ah. I, I, I made a lot of money. I assume that's a television show or some kind of movie because when I first glazed over, I'm like, he was just like taking different videos of a green beret and then like <laughs> a forest green beret and then a well, the way he said it definitely made it sound like Yeah. Um. So we have to kind of take our Sulu while we have it, which mm. he is only in the beginning of this yeah, episode, only for a couple of minutes, and then is not one of the chosen few who is planet who is beamed down to the planet. That's okay. The chosen few who are beamed down to the planet don't all get to appear in all the scenes anyway. So 
Some of them disappear. Uhura and uh, Chekhov disappear for like a good 10 minutes near the end. They're just well, gone. Chekhov had to have a really deep think about whether it was ethical to have sex with androids. <laughs> yes, I um, believe that. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out where I stand on that episode because it's essentially like a walking, talking vibrator. So yeah, it depends on whether you think they're I alive or not. Guess? In this case, I think probably no. If if you think they're sentient, or... they're not sentient. No, they're not I sentient. Don't think they're sentient. Then, no, so... then no, it's not okay. I'm pretty sure Chekhov also landed on it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, and then Uhura. Although I, I would like one day to have this situation where the, the character in the science fiction show is having this dilemma, and it's a female character wondering it about a male android. Just <laughs> once. Have we ever had that? Tasha didn't wonder. She just banged Data real hard. Yeah, but Data was sentient. Yeah. So it's a different... Did she think he was sentient, though? Or was she just like, you're an object that's hard? He did tell her that he was fully (laughs) functional. (laughs) I don't think that she considered him a person. I think she considered him a walking... Well, they were all drunk in that episode, too. Space drunk, so... Everybody was impaired. But still. It was Pulaski who was very explicitly, you're clearly just like a tinker toy of some kind. I don't think, I think Tasha was actually, like, no, they were genuinely friends. All right, girl talk moment here. Would you have sex with Data? No. I don't know if he'd be like cold skin like he's, they want. There's an entire episode about this where Data dates a female crew member who only appears for one episode. She's just <laughs> broken up with her boyfriend and Data's yeah. like, oh, I will do the human experience of being a shoulder for you to cry on. And then they end up dating and then she ends up breaking up with him because you're a fucking machine and have no emotions. But like an actual android, like... I How would it be any different? Well, I mean, it's like there's actually, it's happened in real life where some guy, I think in Japan maybe, created a Scarlett Johansson sex bot. Well, it was actually, sorry, it was a robot that looked like Scarlett Johansson and everybody went, ooh, he's sleeping with that. That's disgusting. I think I would have the problem with a proprietary someone's face on oh, it. Yeah. But I don't know, guys. Like, I don't think I'd feel comfortable with something non-sentient. Yeah. Data, I don't know. But how is that different from like vibrators? It's it's creepy. It's because they don't they don't because vibrators don't talk. And what if they could? Then it would be creepy. But it's the same thing. It's just more. It's a very different experience. How? Because you want a different thing out of something that's meant to be mimicking life. Do you? Then you. Well, I do. Do you? I cannot believe that this sentence is going to come out. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. 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 But it's like the difference. What's the difference between like a vibrator and one of those real dolls? Well, that's basically None. what these are. But the real dolls are disgusting and creepy. They Why? Because, because they look like humans. Because they stare at you. Because they look at you. But it's not real. Yeah, but a vibrator is not real. A vibrator doesn't vibrators. Okay. <laughs> vibrators are real. <laughs> yes. But don't talk. Don't have faces. One hopes. That's where it gets creepy. I've seen that's the line. I don't know. I really don't see the difference. Okay, to a vote. Is it creepy if it's a vibrator that walks, talks, and has a face? Or no? Depends yes? whether it has tiny little legs that come out the bottom of it. Oh, oh my god. Toodles around going, bip, 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 bip. I'm really uncomfortable. I think it's voting creepy, and I'm also voting creepy. I don't know. I don't see the, I honestly don't see the difference. So this has gone on a really long time and is wildly off topic. I think you're so wrong. But... 
we definitely all agree that Henry Mug was having sex with all of them, right? Oh, one at a time. Yeah. In sequence. Yeah. That's disgusting. It was... No, Ari. No, I'm just wondering why you would want 500 identical ones. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know what why, goes up, what his kinks are, but that is were, his decision. There were so many questions about this. Like, why do you need so many, divorcing them from the sex bot part of the conversation, why do you need that many to start with? Why not just one of each? Why not just one? I mean, it can't have been for labor's sake, because surely if you had the facilities to make androids that sophisticated, you also have the ability to have, like large automated machines to do the same work so why they're not doing anything they have no purpose but to serve him you don't need 2704 people to you serve certainly don't one need 200,000 no like it's that's baffling. nonsense and they didn't seem to actually be performing any functions outside of serving him i kind of got the impression that they only gave them such enormous numbers on their little tags to make it seem like the planet was bigger than it was so that when they went, oh, it's cool, we beamed down your entire crew, it was supposed to seem believable. It wasn't. But just to give the impression of scale mm. beyond, you know, actually giving but, an explanation But for it's such it. a specific number. And why, again, back to your point, Kim, like, why would you make that many? Why would you make, like, only of a couple of models, though? Because there's 500 Alice's, there's 500... There's a Maisie series, there's a... There's a Barbara... That he makes his wife. Yeah. Oh, that was very uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, why do you need that many? Like, I can understand, say, if you have each android has its specific purpose. So you have one that's a housekeeper, one that does the hard labor, one that does the cooking. I even understand having a single backup for each one. Yeah, I can understand doing that. So maybe, maybe you have a staff of 20. Yeah. Sure. Why do you need that many? Why do you need 200,000? I mean, it could just be a thing of, like... The androids are Everest because they're there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Like Norman, it's Norman, right? Yeah. yeah, Norm, good old Norm. So he's original, and then there must have been some other ones, but he seems to have created most of the lady bots. Oh, he designed the lady bots to his specification, so he would enjoy having sex with all two hundred thousand of them. This well, was a disgusting a episode. Were... Okay, so Kim, technically 200,703 of them. 702, because well, I really of... don't think he banged Norman. No, some, there were other male Norman... sex, There were other male oh. series. Oh, yes, and Stella. I don't think he There was an Oscar wife. series. There were like three or four series of male robots. But again, why do 500? Do Unless know. it was like a mold thing. Like if you do one, you automatically have to do 500. Yeah, you don't like a discount if you yeah, do yeah, 500. Yeah. The machines only do it in lots of 500. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And if... As we learn later on, the purpose of the facility that they're on was to, like, terraform the planet, that those numbers kind of start to make sense. Because if you need a huge workforce, although I still think it's dumb to build human-shaped robots when you can build, like, giant machines. That is stupid. Yeah. But, okay, 1960s, if you say so. Well, it does give you better visuals, I Mm. suppose. So, let's start this episode. (laughs) So, Norman... (laughs) So, Norman is the new crew member who Bones has a bone to pick with, but a boom ching mm. because he doesn't smile and doesn't talk about his background, and that's it. So, here's the thing, and this is where the episode starts to go off the rails for me. It's the <laughs> first wow. episode. <laughs> it's like minute one. Yeah. Um, so, 
Bones knew that Norman had been on board for a couple of days 72 hours. Spock knows that he's there. But none of them, two of the most senior officers on the ship, know how he got there, where he's from, or why he transferred aboard. The fuck. What the fuck? Because, Kim, there is no Starfleet HR who would be looking after that <laughs> and getting background checks. Who called his references? Exit interview from his previous posting? Like, who? give your employment history. Like, did somebody welcome him on board? How the hell did he get there? Did he beam on? Did he just appear? How did Bones know he was on board? Why didn't Norman stay out of sight? What the fuck is going on? Minute one, and this went completely out of Honestly, orbit for me. I kind of, I was not picking up most of the nuances of this dialogue. It was just like, new guy on a ship. Well, he's pretty weird. Also, the fact that you're able to duck out of a medical exam before going on a ship when we know that contagion and space diseases are a problem. So the first thing you should do is be stuck into quarantine for at least a day, and then McCoy should look over you. And then you can mix generally with the populace. Who knows what kind of space herpes you might have? Well, we also, at this point, at least have the the decontamination in the transporter being established. So maybe that's used in place of quarantine. But apparently none of those sensors pick up the fact that, oh, guess what? So Norman is obviously evil. Yeah. Because yeah. he strolls, he strolls, strolls, strolls up to a door, which the only security that is visible to this very important, it's the relay station, isn't yes. it? Yes. The relay station that connects the whole ship together, that is essentially like the brain of it. The only security here is a sign that says, <laughs> no, no admittance for unauthorized personnel. That is all. Is the door locked, ladies? No. No. Is there a security guard posted there? No. How many people are stationed at this very important part of the ship? That would be one guy. Yeah. Who's sitting with his back to the door. Who is sitting with his back <laughs> to the door. I've noted this before. Like, at one point, the transporter, was the guy oh, who was working, God. the transporter was working his back to the door. It's just to make themselves easier targets for chopping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and chop he does. Chop, chop. Norman apparently went to the robot school of Taekwondo Mm -hmm. because he, gosh, he doesn't even do anything to him. He just pushes him back into the chair and the guy is instantly unconscious. This was not a good episode. I mean, in the real world, space makes you very fragile. Okay, (laughs) fine. But still, getting pushed into a chair does not damage any part of you except for your butt. And as far as I know, (laughs) sitting down firmly does not cause you to faint. I mean, I suppose you could throw your back out if you sit down wrong, but even you're not going to pass out. Even so. So Norman just, like, dicks around with all the buttons. All of them. All of them everywhere. But with purpose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, We get our only view of Sulu's in the entire episode where a button flashes on his console Mm -hmm. that says, overload danger. (laughs) I didn't even notice that. How is there not more contingencies than that? Like, your ship could explode, but the only way we'll know is if one guy in that very important part of the ship says something, and if he's incapacitated, a tiny button that glows... Not even incapacitated. He could just be looking in the other direction for a few minutes. Thank you. <laughs> Assuming it's not a persistent spaceship. Again, uh, Brian, if you want to do another serious idea that I can fling out to you, the crazy-ass architects designing starships. Ooh, I would absolutely love to see uh, a series set. <gasps> Star Trek Utopia Planitia Shipyard! Yes, please. 
That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Kim, that was just a series of non <laughs> that came out of Utopia Planitia is the year that orbits the Earth where they build giant starships. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yep. Well, whoever did this one should be fired. Because, mm-hmm. again, uh, Sulu takes a look at this button says, Huh. That's weird. Mm-hmm. And tells Kirk. Mm-hmm. The other weird thing about this is that Sulu is in gold again. Kirk is in green, which I hate because it's a bad color on him. Okay. Yeah. And also, they have art on the bridge. Yeah. I did not notice that. So there, there's like their consoles, and they sit, and then above there's like different view screens. They're not things that are out there that they're looking at. It's just pictures of space. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just pictures of space, as if to remind you where you are. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! I panicked. Where am I? Oh yeah, it's like having space. a wi- it's like having a windowless boardroom and hanging up pictures of landscapes or like it's those motivational that. posters. No, they've had pictures of like nebulas and stuff in the transporter room since the beginning. Yes, this is very true. But this is on the bridge, and it is ridiculous. surely you would want to reduce distractions on the bridge. Yeah, so auxiliary control is they have an unexpected course change is what they discover on the bridge. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. No one's picking up an auxiliary control. Oh, weird. Gosh. They do send security. One. Although I do want to know one guy. that they send security to auxiliary control. One guy. But you know where they don't call security to? Where are we? The bridge. <laughs> no, they do not. Do you know where they also do not send security? Where? Engineering. <laughs> where the explodey stuff is kept. <laughs> so they think that, that it's an intruder. And oh my gosh, guys. Nor- Storm and Norman <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> comes in and takes out the entire engineering department, starting with Scotty, who I don't even know how to <laughs> he describe. Slumps very it. conveniently over the communicator. I wrote in my note here that Norman knocks out Scotty and beats up engineering. <laughs> Basically, that is what happens. <laughs> yes, but I would like to draw special attention to engineering technician number three, who is at the top of a staircase, <laughs> who launches himself down yeah. like a beautiful swan in Cirque du Soleil <laughs> into the waiting arms of Norman, who captures him by the armpits and swoops him down to the ground. He's like, what ballet. the fuck was your plan? Like, I'm just gonna throw myself down at him, like, head first. Ariel Kirk Foo. <laughs> it was Ariel Kirk I do, guys. It's a beautiful moment because the gut, the, 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 the engineering technician watches this happen. Mm-hmm. So the door, imagine, put yourself in this guy's mm-hmm. shoes. The door is open. Storm and Norman comes in. But he looks, he doesn't belong here. What's, oh my gosh, he's taking out Scotty by, I don't know, like chest thumping him. <laughs> it's hard, hard to understand. He goes over to this other console arms arms you're standing looking down at all this carnage what do i do what weapon do i have and then you flash back <laughs> the only weapon i have is my body <laughs> and i'm going to use it like a torpedo <laughs> wouldn't it make more sense to launch yourself at him like feet first well, so you I could was... smash him in the face I or see... you've got the high ground just stay up there and then kick his feet as he comes up I assume that he flashed back to that time that he took a ballet class to fill his Starfleet Academy first year PE requirements. And he really took to it, but his first love was really the fleet, so he did not pursue his ballet career. But in that afternoon, he was able to combine both of those passions. Yes. I mean, I'm sure those skills would be very useful when doing, like, zero grav training. I guess. So Scotty is conscious enough yes. that he calls the bridge, but is unable to say anything. Yes. Uh, 
He managed to slump semi-conscious over the intercom. I thought that was very clever of him. Yes. He manages to call the bridge, but not actually relay any important information, because apparently it's just too much. Yeah, and Kirk calls down to engineering, be like, oh, Scotty, he's in your area. And Scotty, semi-conscious, sort of grunts, yeah, we know. (laughs) We know as of, like, five minutes ago. Then Kirk proceeds to say the word Scotty so many times that it loses me. (laughs) I swear to God that Shatner was getting 50 bucks bonus every time he says the word Scotty. Mm -hmm. It just goes on and on and on. And while this is happening, the ship is speeding up and they can't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. And um, he's probably still yelling Scotty into the intercom and has not yet fully appreciated the fact that, oh yes, he's already been to engineering. And this is where he strides onto the bridge because, as previously mentioned, although they sent security to several other parts of the ship, the bridge was not one of them. Well, no, you wouldn't want to protect the brain trust of the bridge. My other favorite part about this is that he's like, I'm going to go investigate me. Kirk the Kirk. And then, and Sulu's like, well, I can't get this to work. And he's like, Spock, go tell Sulu how to do his job as he's walking up. He's a bad manager. He is. We're in this just... instance. It comes and goes. It does. I have found. So but, yes. Uh, yeah. Storm and Armin is like, I've done a trigger relay, which I think he tried to explain it's like that speed. I stopped caring. It's, it's like, like speed. speed. It's like speed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if we veer off course, everything will explode. Yes. Um, or if you try and stop us without my uh, permission, everything yeah. will explode. So after he drops that particular bomb, pun intended, <laughs> um, he starts with a speech of, but we mean you no harm. <laughs> Except for the whole explosion thing. Except we need your ship. And so they're like, okay, but, and then he lifts up his shirt and is like, but robot. Yeah. And discussion. About, about half of this dialogue back, I wrote down, death a robot? <laughs> question mark, question mark? Well, I would also very much like to have a brief discussion amongst ourselves how one individual can take over the entire ship. Yeah. On the yeah. other hand, we also saw that in Space Drunk because, um... Stere- Irish stereotype number five was mm. also able to control the entire ship. Yeah, but he did one it, guy. He did yeah. it from engineering. One guy. Yeah, one well, guy. I mean, like yeah. we see it a couple of times. I think we see it a few times on the Enterprise where somebody's able to take over the ship, but it's always extremely complicated. And the yeah. one I remember the most is Data. Yeah, and he does it by like impersonating other people's voices. Yeah, and being super super smart, and yeah. because he's sentient, he can creating ridiculously long passwords. And also, a, yeah, and also a whole bunch of like linking into the computer and doing things like in a digital way that would not have made any sense to anyone in the 1960s. Now, like the Binars took over the Enterprise, but it was empty. Of they were actually handed the Enterprise. Yeah, and it was pretty much empty. And isn't there the one where? They do some sort of scanning thing where somebody's trying to steal the Enterprise and Kirk's on the holodeck with a horse, or Card's on the holodeck with a horse. Varian feels. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. what? What is he doing with that horse? He's riding it? Yeah, he is. Oh, God. <sighs> so, like, people try and take over the Enterprise, but no, I don't think ever one guy is just able to be like, and what up? And it's not just like, another day on the Enterprise. It's like, circumstances are already in place to make it easier for Fine. Them. But this guy This is- guy? Takes out two departments. Well, yeah. and also, one of them was only one guy. And also in next gen, like whatever people try and take over the ship, there are phasers hidden everywhere. There's always like yeah. panels where you open it up. And there's a phaser in there, or Beverly has got like a thing under her desk, and there's a phaser in there. And I remember very clearly <laughs> they've learned from the past. At one point in Voyager, somebody's like storming into engineering, and Bellana Torres like reaches under a console and she's got a 
phaser oh, handy. Don't forget the one where Riker and I can't remember who else are like possessed by ghosts and Guinan pulls the giant phaser rifle out from underneath the bar yeah. and kind of forward and like, Shh. Yeah, no one's got phasers anywhere on this ship. Sorry, ghosts? Um, yeah. Not important. Not, not important. Not important. Moving on. Yeah, there. <laughs> not important. So they have four days. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. This yep. is crazy. And then we completely skip it. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> no. This is great because, like, Norman's like, you can't destroy me or it'll destroy the ship. It'll take four days. Norman out. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then he just conks off. Yeah. He's just like, mode. goes <laughs> to sleep for four days. I mean, can you imagine, like, sitting on the bridge for four days, not being able to do anything with, like, Norman yeah. standing there asleep? You just have to, like, walk. And he's right in front of the elevator. And, and like, everyone keeps almost walking. Do into people, him? like, dress him up and put, like, wigs on him? I assume so. And maybe paint a mustache? Wouldn't you? I would. I would oh, what's do he going to do? So everyone, everyone on the bridge, might I add, is chill as fuck about this. No one is freaking out. No one raises an eyebrow. They do stranger things. Kirk actually shrugs. Like, (laughs) that's the thing that got me is how casually it was treated. We're like, Norman out. And then we're just like, okay, four days later. (laughs) That's a crazy thing to have happen. But also, they're very blasé about these things these days. You should not be. First of all, it's an android that took over your ship. You don't know where you're going. He would be crashing into a planet. Do you think you could be like, they're just like, oh, well, we give up. I refuse to believe that Spock didn't spend four days trying to figure out how to reverse engineer whatever Norman did. He certainly may have. We just didn't. Why didn't we get to see any of it? It's like the lost episode. Those four days of what happened. Oh, yeah. Like, well, we don't know what happened. So chaos on the Enterprise. That would be awesome. So... When they finally get to their destination, they're going to transport, like, a couple of specific people. Uh, all the main characters. Not all. Except no. Sulu. Except and, for Sulu. And Scotty. Who No, Scotty was there. No, eventually. Scotty was not there on oh, the first Oh, not group. there. No. I assume he was still unconscious. Oh, yeah. He was passed out. It's just so hard to remember sometimes because mm-hmm. it was so pathetic. <laughs> I went there. So, and the robot is like, I'm going to use a word that I do not know what it means, but it has meaning to you people. A please. So he's giving a lot of mixed messages. What yeah. was the word? Please. please. What? Yeah. That's like, ridiculous. Please, please come please come down. Yeah. I know Kim. Little, I hate this episode no, so the much. Focus. And it's and it's irritating because they set this up like, okay, for some reason a robot has, you know, taken over the ship. And then they wind it up like he's not gonna tell you anything. He says, If we're not a threat to you, we just need your ship. Yeah. And then we get all the way to this bit where they're about to beam down, and he says, please. And you think it's going to be a very different episode than it turns out to be. Well, they do seem benevolent, because at the very beginning he says, like, we come in peace, we mean you no harm, but you're going to need to come with us. Yeah. For reasons. Secret reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. Like, they go, they beam down to this planet, which the set dressers obviously had a big day. Like, it was a big moment. So there's a lot of geometric stuff happening. The doors are just, like, triangles or, like, slices of a grilled cheese pizza. <laughs> grilled cheese sandwich that just kind of, like, zip away. There is an amazing lamp hanging down. Yeah. And I'm a big lamp fan. Well, you really notice the little touches because, I mean, basically, this complex is really goddamn boring. But they it have, is. like, 
cushions and curtains and weird lamps that Corrine really likes. I really like that lamp. <laughs> yeah. I really would like to congratulate the set dresser who chose all the lamps for this entire series. So Norman explains that this is a K-type planet, which mm-hmm. means that it has been adapted and that everyone lives in pressure domes. A fact that is not important at any point in this episode. Nope. No. But I love the idea of domes. I domes are awesome. Maybe they meant to have like a really cool map painting of the surface between the you must now beam down and appearing. But they I think didn't was, get it done in time. I think it was also to excuse the fact that they were going to have like two sets. Probably, yes. <laughs> One of them is a giant soundstage with a throne on it. Mm-hmm. So two identical ladies come down and this is most of the bit actors mm-hmm. and actresses in this they are identical twins yes, yes. Yeah. specifically the alices yes are alice and ray and Dries. and the barbaras are colleen and maureen whose parents obviously hated them <laughs> uh, thornton mm-hmm. um it, it, it actually kind of works yeah i'd say um, yeah because most of the time there's only two of them facing the camera at once mm-hmm. and well, in times when it's not it's clearly that weird split screen thing yeah. or mirrors. Yeah. There's a couple of well, places where you really see the mirrors. You could definitely tell that the, the actresses playing the Alice's were twins and they weren't being played by the same person. Yeah. But that was like, but they were so close. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I really liked that. Yeah. I thought that was actually incredibly clever of them. Yep. Yeah. I love, I honestly, I just love when you can get identical twins on screen together, even if it's just, even if they are playing twins or even if it's something like yeah. this. I just love having identical twins. Everyone loves twins. It's true. I'm going to tell you a story about the casting of this. Now this oh, may, may or may not be apocryphal. Is that one of the casting directors was driving down the street and saw two young identical girls and their pet wild cat. They may or may not have been prostitutes. <laughs> okay. Because essentially they were trolling around for twins, right? Yeah. So he brought these young girls in with their pet wild cat into a session with the producer Gene Kuhn, who was forced to hold the cat as they were doing their audition. The cat proceeded to scratch him so hard that it tore his entire shirt, Star Trek style. <laughs> <laughs> And the girls were not hired. Oh, Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that I think that's extreme. Could you just put out a casting call? Identical twin girls needed? I think it was the part where identical twin hotties needed. Oh. Um. Yes. So there are many, many ladies, and here's the reveal that, oh, it's mud. We don't care. <laughs> His outfit was ridiculous. As always. Um, he was wearing, he had like massive jeweled epaulets on his yes. shoulder. Um, the one thing I did like was his, cha- he was wearing a nice chain of office. Um, <laughs> and I mostly noticed it because um, this past week uh, the Queen was opening the British Parliament. And I love <laughs> looking at all the jewels when that happens. And like every single member of the royal family who was present was wearing one of these giant chains of office. So I was like, Focused on bling this week. (laughs) (laughs) That is fair. So the lady models are wearing outfits that are used in an upcoming episode. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of recycled pink outfits. Mm -hmm. A lot of pink, a lot of gauze, a lot of glitter. Is that pink? I thought they were orange. I thought they were pink. There were parts of both. Mm, We'll find it out later, Kim. Okay, no problem. Yeah. (laughs) You get to choose the weapon. (laughs) Um, It's not going to be wits. (laughs) So, there is actually, and hold on to the table, ladies, a bit of continuity here. Yeah. Where Chekhov says, who the hell are you? Yeah. 
because he wasn't in that episode. What? Oh, right. right. That's of course. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. And unexpected, right? Yeah. I'm shocked. Kirk says, yeah, this asshole, we threw him in jail. Yeah, and they go through like, like a little get bit a brief, of banter. Yeah, we get a brief summary of Mud's recent exploits that no one cares about. You should be in jail. Like, no one cares. People are like staring at the ceiling, looking at their nails. Yeah, whatever. Is he done talking yet? No? Oh, I've got a hangnail. Uh, and I, we're just going to do this. He talks about his sex spots where they're all identical, beautiful, compliant, obedient. He says that they were made to his specifications like 50 times, and it's disgusting. Uh It never gets less creepy. Nope. Um, And he he sort of strings this out like, it's wonderful, it's paradise, I have all of these lovely androids to serve me. And then he calls Kirk aside, and he's like, okay, it's not that great, they won't let me leave. Yes. So it's essentially the, one of those, it's almost like that Greek irony of, yeah. I need, um, like, when Atlas is holding the world and yeah. someone needs him to do something, so they swap out for a moment, and Atlas is like, oh, no, 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 I, I'm not going back. Yeah. So he needs someone to take his place yeah. in order for him to escape. And, fine, so he decides to give these androids who want to study a human an entire shit full of the best humans of all kind. And specifically. And a starship captain. Mm-hmm. And anyone would have done, it was just lucky that it was the Enterprise that came along so he could give them Kirk. Yeah, fine, whatever. But didn't he send Norman to specifically find the Enterprise? No, no. any ship that he Any ship that he could find. Which again speaks to the pressing need to get Starfleet HR. That's awfully convenient. Doesn't. So as he's they're being taken out to their chamber to like marinate on this, they walk past a black Uh. TV wall. They walk past it, and then McCoy remembers his line, and is like, what's that? And then they all have to troop back over and take a look. <laughs> where Mud explains that this is the shrine to his wife, Stella. And you're like, oh, shrine, like a picture, or like a memento. Oh, is she dead? No. no. It is an android that he made of his harridan wife, who nags him all the time. And then we get to see a lovely demonstration where he flicks on the light, and we see her. And he says, hello, Stella. And she, uh, shrews at him is the only she one that shrews at him. Yeah. yeah. And it's, then he says, shut up. And she shuts up. And he gloats at them. And here's where I wrote that I hope Stella has remarried to a filthy rich Trill asteroid mining baron mm-hmm. with 12 kids and has forgotten her, uh, Mud's name completely. This was, this whole thing was gross. It was very gross. Yeah, but again, it's like that 1960s oh, nagging. But again, the thing that the thing that persists today, nagging wife, hard done by husband. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it comical? Except yeah. the things she was saying were like, he was a terrible husband. Mm-hmm. He was drunk. He's a terrible human being. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like, she's nagging him about, you're going out and getting drunk and not showing back up at home? You're like, not working. That's not okay. No. So, they are taken into their holding cell, which has a potted plant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where are they getting that? You androids maybe? don't care about potted plants. Well, you might need to keep the air fresh. And they're like, oh, it's it's comfortable. You'll like it here. It is not comfortable. Those look like the worst, like, waiting benches outside of a medical office of all time. <laughs> okay. Yes, Kate. Question. So, yes. if Harry Mudd 
has 200,000 plus androids to do his bidding and they exist to do nothing but serve him. Is this decorating like just his aesthetic? Or why is there nothing more going on? Yeah, you would expect more like bling is he and drapery. Just like a, and, he doesn't really seem to me like a like a Spartan modernist. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's true. I did expect more wall hangings. Yeah. Like a lot more like curtains. Some or, settees. Yeah, like a little bit of, of raft and furniture or something like that. Yeah. That's a valid point, Kim, because this is very utilitarian. It's not like they didn't have that sort of furniture and set dressing in their warehouses in I Star mean, Trek. Look at what they're wearing. Like... I'm sure, pretty sure Harry Mudd commissioned the identical orange jumpsuit pink one sleeve and vagina like curtain things with that a were going sleeve on one side. And like sparkled, like the, yeah, somebody had to make those sparkle tights that they were all wearing. Like <laughs> maybe he lavished all of his creative energies on those outfits. And or the didn't potted plants. Yeah. Oh, this is like, there are so many things that are wrong with this and so much stuff that doesn't make sense. And I'm just really, really tired of watching this show where the writers obviously just do not give a shit about what they're doing. I'm sorry, rant over. <laughs> anyway, so we get a little bit of backstory about these androids. Yeah. Is that they, they come from the Andromeda system. Fine. Sure. Um, that where robots were common and their makers were really big robot bosses. Yeah, so they basically created the androids and either because of that or concurrent with that, they evolved past needing to do labor and focused all their energies on becoming more evolved. Basically the ancients. Like every But their planet super exploded, right? They, yeah. they all died. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like they were heading for ascension or trying for ascension, but didn't quite make it before nature took its course. So their no, star went No, I feel like Nova. they just were in the wrong place at the wrong time. They all died. You would think that someone advanced enough to create a civilization of androids would know that they're fucking... Or that is my same complaint about the goddamn reboot movies, but Or whatever. to build ships to get yeah. them off They clearly the have ships because this yeah. planet was an outpost. So or they clearly had space travel. They could commission all those robot servants to build them ships. But I have a theory about that. Want to hear my theory? My theory is that they created androids to, to <laughs> Wait free not. themselves <laughs> hear our answer. To free themselves from labor and toil and earthly concerns so that they could spend all their time lying around eating grapes and trying to fucking ascend or whatever. To the point where they became completely disconnected with reality and literally had no idea that their goddamn son was going Nova. Because he said this was, what, thousands and thousands of years ago? I feel like you are projecting a lot onto this. No, I just I, re- I hate civilizations that that invent themselves out of needing to work for things, and I no, tend they, to cast sent, them as no. Like, they sent these robots to terraform the planet. Yeah, but how many thousands of years pass between that and the sun going up? But we don't actually know. Okay, alternate theory. Okay, they spent all of their time creating these androids, these humanoid androids, and creating one ship that they would send out in this space in the hope that those androids would then terraform a planet that they would be able to run away to hmm. when their son was exploded because they knew that it was, but they didn't make it in time. I like Kareen. I'm going Thank with Kareen. Because that also makes sense as to why this planet is like, if they've been terraforming this planet for 10,000 years or whatever, it explains why it's not necessarily habitable for humans and mud has to live in pressure domes. It also explains yeah. why the androids didn't just build a goddamn ship so they could leave. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was a one-way ship. So they actually were not capable of creating space travel that, that like, biological beings could survive. I think that maybe they put all of their efforts into creating that ship to terraform the planet, and then maybe they were working on the second ship to get them off, but it wasn't enough time. I like this. Mm-hmm. Good job, Corrine. Thank you, Kim. I'm upset that this is, like, now multiple weeks in a row where we have had to do <laughs> so much work ourselves to get this episode to, like, function in a coherent fashion. I expect to get my PhD in Star Trek any time now. Like, I'm waiting in the, like, waiting for the mail. We have to do a lot of work to make <laughs> these make sense, and it's not cool. But isn't that theory sad? It is a very it sad, is sad theory. very, that, very that's, sad. And it's, it gives a, po- a poignancy to the whole yeah. androids. Wow. I bet they'd be horrified to see what dickheads set up on their non-quite-terrifying Yeah, like, to these androids who just want to serve, like, they just, yeah. all they wanted to do was save their people. Fuck, that makes sense! Yes! Good job, Kareem! Mission achieved! And because they are, they're, they're purposeless, and that really, it's kind of like Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, where all the servants are going yeah. to be my guests. Whereas real servants do not feel that way. Also, you have to imagine that a larger part of their sadness was because they were like stools and candlesticks and stuff. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's, and that's the line in, in Beauty and the Beast in the song is, um, what's a servant who's not serving? Those like, are people. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it's like it's it's being purposeless. It's like you your job is to do this thing, but you can't because of civilization has been destroyed or no, whatever. I think the person at this table who's seen like YouTube videos of like the Roomba when it gets confused and stuck in a corner, it makes the sad little noise and bumps into the wall over and over again. That is now how I'm imagining the civilization of androids. Whatever. I still basically sad. I have no sympathy for the Roomba. But anyways, yeah, the only, the robots are like, we need purpose. It is necessary to have a purpose. Yes. And they they start, like, trying to tempt all the members, like, oh, there's a sweet research lab for you, McCoy, and all yeah. this good stuff. And Kirk, in possibly the second best, because I'm still going with ballet swoop. <laughs> <laughs> Go away. Why, says the android. We don't like you, says Kirk. boop, 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 boop. I am not making that up. <laughs> the point, the thing that made that line was that Kirk then goes and like, like does this like hand motion of like go away now and then like scoots them away. He yeah. makes a robot noise at them. <laughs> like <laughs> boop, 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 boop. it was like was insane. It was great. Can you imagine being Shatner and getting the scripts like week after week after week, <laughs> and then one day. You know what? <laughs> I know exactly what I'm going to say here. Yeah. So they are allowed to kind of walk around, mm-hmm. and Spock walks around to what is the central control complex, mm-hmm. which has kind of weird pillars in it oh, and sure. a glowing thing. Sure. A glowing crystal thing. Yeah, whenever you ask them a question that they can't quite get, they have little necklaces with numbers on them, and they blink mm-hmm. in Morse code. Mm-hmm. 1960s computer noise. So, okay, I got a question here, because this is where we see, like, Norman, our blue guy from the bridge, mm-hmm. yeah. now wearing, like, head-to-toe white lycra, yeah. um, <laughs> and, like, communing with the computer crystal? Sure. Yeah. So is there whatever. only one Norman? Yes. yes. Okay, so they took the head of their entire computer system, the one brain that keeps everything functioning, and just said, go find a ship. Like, was he, like, Wi-Fi'd up to these guys? Like, what were they it doing with no like Norman? He's the only one capable of actually, like, making decisions numerically or 
anything. Like, maybe Mud's just not smart enough to present the rest of them with enough of a logic problem to explode. I don't know. That didn't make any sense that Norman was the That's head of the point, computer Kim. system. That's a good point, Again, why would you send your captain down on an away mission to a dangerous planet? These are all excellent questions. Mm. So, in a super creepy moment, guys, uh, Mud starts talking about, like, the process of making an android. Mm. Oh my gosh. And Uhura asks, how long do these bodies last? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, this is after Mud has said that he's made them all to his taste. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to gloss over that as much as possible because I, I don't like No, those I don't want to gloss over it because it was I disgusting. Do. It's gross. Was, We've already established that he's gross. Yeah, we don't. It's it's out there. We don't need to say those words anymore. So, yeah, how long does body last? 500,000 years. And you could apparently just plop a human brain in that body. Oh yeah. This was also. And I feel like we are supposed to sense that Ahura is tempted by this. I don't really think tempted so much as, well, that would be, mm, no. No, there's no, mm, no moment. She just looks tempted, and there's kind of like, wah, 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 wah. There's a huge gulf between tempted, though, and seriously considering it. Well, it, this is, ugh, the only reason this moment exists is to set up the bit at the end where she's like, no, they're betraying you, yeah. give me my robot body. Yeah. It's, it's literally the only reason, and for it's a it, trick. It's, and it's also supposed to try and fake out the audience that, like, we somehow actually believe that Ahura would betray the crew for a robot body. Like, no. Yeah. Well, for those just tuning in, it's a weird moment. Mm-hmm. It is a very weird it's moment. It's very contrived, and it's there just to get us to where we need to be at the end of the episode. Yeah. yeah. So they go back. Oh, lots oh of yeah, doing Scotty gets manhandled in. Scotty gets manhandled in. Um, apparently they've beamed all of the crew down and beamed all the androids up, and the androids are gonna go do stuff. They're gonna now, take the ship. At this point, Kirk loses it. Yeah. He, th- he, like, he literally throttles, he grabs the throat of mud and starts just, like, choking. The robots do nothing. <laughs> they no, watch they this. Aren't they supposed to protect humans and mud? Like, why do they let this happen? Well, it doesn't last for very long, and I... Don't it know. lasted for a really long time. It was like 10 seconds, and I don't really think that Kirk would have actually killed him. The other thing here is that the reason the Enterprise crew has been bought, brought is so that the androids have something new to study. Yeah. There's something new to study. Violence. That's true. Mm. So, then starts, like, the temptation montage, starting with Chekhov. Yeah. He's sitting on some kind of... He's sitting on Mud's throne. He is sitting on the throne. And then two ladies slink out from either side, and they're like, we can give you anything you desire. Apparently what Chekhov desired was booze. Yep. Booze and ladies. And he has the ethical quandary that we have discussed about, no, which one to choose? Doesn't matter. (laughs) Doesn't make any difference. You're both lovely. What a shame that you're not real. Yeah. And then they try and tell them, we function as real women. Which. They're sex bots. They're sex bots. That's gross. They are definitely sex bots. And he's like, I'm so sad that I'm not as unprincipled as mud. Basically, yeah. But this, this prison is even better than I thought. He's such a leech. Yeah. A leech, leech and I know. He's a leech and a latch, Ari. I meant what I said. Like, he's. In the past episode, like, the apple as well. Yeah. Like, Chekhov loves the ladies. He does. 
loves the ladies. Yeah. Which is a shame because we're going to see him dance and I'm afraid that romance is not reciprocated <laughs> anymore. Um, so it's, it's a gilded cage, but it's a very mm-hmm. nice gilded cage. It's pleasant. We can have immortality. Kirk just says, I want my ship. And this is the point where he tries arguing with one of the robots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of many, guys. It's in my best interest. I, I want the ship. The ship makes me happy. It makes me unhappy that I can't have my ship. And she's like, explain unhappiness. Mm-hmm. And so that does not compute. And then her little and her little necklace starts beepity beeping. Beepity mm-hmm. beeping. And then Kirk says about the Enterprise. <laughs> it is a beautiful lady. And we love her. Which blows its mind. <laughs> yeah, and then we get the first sort of moving forward clue, which is that her necklace blinks and blinks and blinks. And yeah, she says, yeah, yeah. All units relate, all units relate, Norman coordinate. Which, of course, is when we all know exactly how the rest of the episode is going to go. Yeah. Um, and she says, we must study this, and sweeps out of the room. Yeah. Uh, Kirk turns to Bones and asks if he's taken any psychological readings. Oh, God. Of the, the androids. show can never decide if one understands psychology or, or not. not. Well, this is that weird science fiction thing where if you are a scientist, you are all kinds of science. That is just continuously just he done isn't over and over blue. again. Mm-hmm. Like, there is that. Yeah. So they come back with, essentially, you're a self-destructive species, so we need to help you, and we will help you by taking your starship and uh, oh yes, and Mud's plan to replace himself with the Enterprise crew not working. Not going to work. They're, they're like, they're no, them. you're staying here too. You're much too interesting, and we cannot allow a race as greedy as corruptible as you to roam the galaxy. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't really argue that. Let's put the robots in charge. Maybe not that far, but yeah, yeah. At which point, like, who cares? We get the entire plot of, yes, they're all relayed through Norman. They're not capable of independent or creative thought. They're a mass brain linked through Norman. And this is where my neural networking thing came from. Yeah. And then there's a very strange line where they're like, okay, we're going to act all crazy bonkers and blow the robot's brains. But they turn to Spock and say, you... And Mud says this. Mud says to... You couldn't sell a fake patent to your mother. As if that is a regular thing that everyone has done. Well, I mean, the thing that we find out back at the beginning when Mud is recounting his activities since we've, since we've last seen him is that he's basically been selling, that's what he's been doing, he's yeah, been selling so. fake technology patents. And I mean, I guess it's supposed to be like... He wasn't mu- selling fake patents. He was selling property he didn't own. Yes. Okay. And not paying royalties... To the people who own the patents, which is a crazy future crime. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This was a weird thing for him to say about Spock. Oh, but it gets worse. The other note that I have here Spock is he says, so too. he says to Kirk, you sing and dance as well as anyone I've ever met, meaning that he has seen Kirk both sing and dance. I thought it was metaphorical singing and dancing. Yeah, I thought it was meaning he was like I am a, choosing to take that I, very little. I'm big a liar yeah. of mud. You are a great bullshitter. However... Kirk is not a bullshitter, as proved by the canon. Um, but mud is nonetheless skeptical that this extremely dumb plan that they have cooked up is going to work. And then the rest of the Enterprise crew is like, Shh, don't worry about it. We've done this like 20 times. Which they have. Yes, they have. This, this exact thing. So, <laughs> they they... They drug mud, and apparently they think, okay, the the robots think we're going to do a fake out, a fake escape. So yeah, we're going to give them. They're a fake expecting escape. us to do something. 
where they drug mud, they bring the robots open over, and then Uhura jumps up and says, No, it's a trick. I want I want an android body, young and beautiful forever. Where I had a terrible moment when I was like, Oh no, oh, I didn't no. move for a second. Oh no, no, why? You actually believed it? I really? had a moment, yeah, because I because of that weird beat that we had pre in the episode yeah, where never... there was no like Oh, that she where she she expresses. Oh, wouldn't that be nice to be young and beautiful forever? And there's no like look away. Like no, that would be ridiculous. I was thought I never took that seriously. It was just idle fancying. It wasn't like seriously wanting it. Well, I knew, I knew that it was going to be a fake out as soon as she yeah. started doing it. I was like, there's no way. It was so dramatic. Yeah, yeah. She did a great job. So the. Robot is like, thanks a million, and then she walks out, and then... She goes, no, she goes to make the body. She's like, we'll get your body to you real fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then she runs out, and Kirk picks up Aurora. She is a tiny little lady. Yeah. yeah. In, a, in a big, unprofessional hug, and tells her that she did good. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, is you're supposed to think that Kirk is like, what are you doing? And he's going to pick her up and shake yeah. her. two seconds. Yeah, but no... He's picking her up. That was a, that was a genuine moment. That. that was a moment. That, that was fine, but the show wanted nice. you to think it was Kirk was mad and was going to pick her up and shake her. Yeah, like a doll. Ugh. Yeah. So now begins Alice's trip through Wonderland. Guys, this was like 85 minutes of crazy yeah, Soviet I, theater. I didn't so even long. bother like writing this down because it's just like five and a half minutes of batshit nonsense. So was I understand why the robots' heads exploded. <laughs> was everyone in the '60s like on LSD? Like, was Very this made, was this made in the time when the FBI was putting LSD in the water? And this is just what in Hollywood I definitely I buy it. Like, this is weird, and it goes on forever. It yeah, was forever so long. Like normally, when Kirk is outsmarting a robot, it takes about five seconds. <laughs> yeah, this took. For, was it because there were so many robots? I decided yes, that is true. Yeah, so. Essentially, they break the robots through Contact. dance, yeah. Yeah. clapping, yeah. check off doing what I can only do, and I'm going to do some air quotes for you guys, <laughs> dancing? Sure. Some kind of like Russian jumping up and trying to touch his feet, but he is nowhere near them. Yeah, basically they they deliberately contradict themselves a bunch of times, which confuses the robots, and then they act like lunatics, and that also confuses the robots. It's like an improv uh, game gone terribly wrong. Yeah, it, yeah, it's like uh, whose line is it without you know Carrie sitting there actually explaining the context? So it's just nonsense, and it goes on forever. The one part that I try, so they take out like the Alice's, and they have to go through the other robots to take them out. But Spock at one point tries to mind meld with Alice. Oh, and there's like nothing. And he kind of like slinks, he slinks, slinks, slinks up behind him, puts his hand on her head. Like, you know, when he does the mind meld yeah. and then nothing happens. And he's like, uh, awkward. <laughs> so, like slink back. I did not notice, I didn't that. notice that. It was all. a great moment. So yeah, they just start saying contradictions. I love you. And I hate you. They slap each other. They take out the two, four down, 2,000, 200,702 to go. Yeah, because they start networking oh, with each other, God. trying to figure out what the hell these weirdo humans are doing. Yeah, so they start doing soliloquies. They start whistle-shooting people. Uh, they do, like, an explosion game. It's um, very nonsense. Uh, they do the everything I say is a lie, no he's lying thing that happens in Labyrinth. Uh, and one and Norman essentially goes up in smoke. Yeah. 
he yeah. explodes. He a explodes. Bit. Yeah, all the androids end up like blue screen of death. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> it's not It intense. is crazy. It was although we do way have that long. it was very long. Although right before they they logic Norman into BSOD, they um Norman sort of storms in because I assume all of the Because that's what Norman Maisie does because he's storming Norman. Storm Norman. Norman. <laughs> I assume because androids are freezing up left and right and mm-hmm. center and he sort of is like what are you doing and Kirk says, okay, you can surrender now. He's like, why would I surrender? We're better than you. We're stronger than you. And Kirk says, can you harm a human you're programmed to serve? And Norman says, no. And I think that was supposed to be a reference to the three laws. Oh, okay. Um, and then they do the bomb game. Oh. Yeah, because Mud says, you're already hurting us. And that's kind of like the, the killing blow. That freezes up Norman, basically. No, the killing bow is Kirk's sass. Well, yes, it is Kirk's sass, but it's like, it's this line of argument that, that finally drives Norman to BSOD himself. But not it's like, like... you can't harm a human, you're supposed to be serving. A robot cannot harm a human being. And Mud says, you're already hurting us. But he doesn't take out all of them permanently, because what happens no, after all up. of that is that the crew is free to yes. leave. They... The regular androids have been reprogrammed they not to kidnap them. people. Yeah. Yes. They press the little button with their special <laughs> iPod, I, yes. iPhone sticks yes. to, yeah. to factory reset. And our quip out is, well, what to do with Mud? Should we take him back to prison? No. I have a better idea. I'm... Yeah. So the the androids have been set back to their original purpose, which was to terraform the planet. Yes. Um, and they're going to... They, Kirk tells Mud, and he's delighted by this, you can tell, you've been paroled to stay here forever. But not just stay there alone. Yeah. But they have made, I think, 500 of his shrewish, shrewdiest wife. Yeah. And they're leaving her in charge. Yes. And we end the episode with three of them screaming at him in a screaming circle and him clutching his face like it's melting off. (laughs) And end episode. Yeah. This was terrible. (laughs) So, life lesson to take away from this, Kim. Don't make a planet full of sex bots. Some would disagree with you. Ari. Oh, God. I honestly don't know. I mean, I had all these interesting thoughts about artificial intelligence and the three laws and all that stuff. Mainly, I think it would probably just be that if you put a guy in jail, make sure he stays there or shit like this happens. Mine is always have a kill switch on a robot and or android mm-hmm. that, is an readily, that is readily accessible and available to everyone. Even Data has an off button. Yeah. Yeah. But his is like a little bit secret and you kind of have a sneak up on yeah, him, only which is hard friends. because he yeah. has sensors on the back of his head. Yeah, yeah, but you can't just walk up behind him and push it. See, yeah. I want an off switch. You. Like a light bulb, I would like an off switch on the back <laughs> of all robots. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. they would be forced to like turn their back to me whenever I ask because I don't trust them. Yeah. Ever. I would never trust Data. I would have a really, really hard time working with him. Or believing that he's human. I wouldn't mind Data. Well, you're not supposed to believe that he's human. Well, not that he's human, but that he's sentient. sentient. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't go there. You don't think Data is sentient? I don't know. I have doubts. I I do not. I have zero doubts. I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation. Mm -hmm. I think it's a conversation we should maybe at least put on hold until we actually get to Data. I have a problem with robots. I have a problem with androids. And I am absolutely owning up to it i have a problem with data okay well i do want to note though that robot and android are different categories like they're not the same like a robot is 
is an automated thing. I an know Android, what a robot is. An android is just what something looks like. So something can be an android and also sentient. These ones, however, are not. Um, like I said, they, they function, they're not, they use the words artificial intelligence at least once in this episode, but nothing that we see really seems to mimic that. Not in the modern sense. Mm. They're more like a neural network. Mm. Um, although I do think that every single one of those robots individually could pass the Turing test. What's, what are the actual questions for the Turing test? Well, the Turing test is not actually meant to prove aliveness. It's, it's, it's meant to prove intelligence. And basically if uh, a computer can fool somebody who can't see it during a conversation into thinking that they are talking to a human being, then they pass the Turing test. And all it's actually meant to prove is intelligence, not life. Okay. Um, Although most people conflate those two. Uh, So I think popularly a robot that could pass a Turing test, most people would think that it was alive. And that is basically how modern artificial intelligence works. We judge it based on how natural its language is and how alive it seems. Right. But seeming alive and being alive are very different things. And at this point in the technology's development in its, you know, sort of penetration into popular culture, there wasn't really much of a distinction between the two. Mm. Like the appearance of aliveness, the appearance of intelligence, and the actual sentience behind something. Mm. Um, and there's an episode of Next Gen that I think you're going to like, Then I think it's in season two. I know what episode you're talking about. Where Data about. goes on trial yeah. to find out if he's a mm-hmm. sentient being or not. Yeah. I think that's going to be an interesting one for you. I think it's really interesting that the popular, like the, the, the actual cultural perception of artificial intelligence versus artificial sentience has more or less mirrored the way that, well, early Asimov, like Asimov referred to all of his artificial fictional life forms as robots. Like even later on when they are clearly sentient, they're still referred to as robots. In fact, there's a tradition that develops in, in um, I'm thinking of the, the caves, the caves of steel and the naked sun, those ones mm-hmm. where the robots that are clearly sentient at this point, um, the tradition is that they take the middle name robot they have real names, but their middle initial is R, robot. Mm. Even though these ones are not like Norby box things that roll along the ground, they're, you know, they could definitely pass as human beings. And they certainly believe themselves to be alive. But they still are bound by the three laws. So it's interesting. But, you know, there's a progression in Asimov's fiction. And Asimov, of course, being the definitive fictional voice for a really long time on what artificial life was that he sort of starts out with robots that are sort of like, they're very regimented and the rules were very clear and rigid to later on the, like the spacer type robots that were, are they alive? I think they're alive. Are they alive? I mostly think they're alive, but do the three laws actually keep you from being fully alive and sentient or don't they? Because the later ones actually were able to write their own rules. It was a robot that came up with the zero law, not a human. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's also, I think also when we get to the episode with Lore, um, there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff to talk about there too when you compare Data to Lore mm-hmm. and what's the difference between them and is one of them more sentient is than there? there? Exactly. So let's wait until we get there. Yeah. Next the gen. is no. Spoiler <laughs> alert, I don't believe either of them are sentient. Anyways, so, uh, performance of the episode, Kim. Um, I'm going to give it to the ladies who played Alice. That was Alice... And Ray. Ray. And Ray. I think. Yep. I liked them. They were great. Yep. Ari? 
That was I was my first instinct was to give it to them. Also. Actually, me as well. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we're actually three for three. So well done, the sister act, Alice mm-hmm. and Ray. I thought they did a great job. They oh, were yeah. interesting. They did the robots when they talked in unison. It was suitably spooky. Yeah, it was very spooky. And they managed to be, despite being meant to be identical, they managed to be subtly different depending on the context that they were talking to the group in. <laughs> Some of them, well, that's because one of them stood on the right and one of them stood on the left. Yes. At all times. Kim, your count. Um, I th- maybe Norman. <laughs> so possibly one if we decide that Norman counts as life. Well, they'd have to build a new Norman, though, wouldn't they? Because they'd need something else to coordinate. I think they just restarted him. I assume they just reset him. It's just like fix the burnt out circuits and reset him. Yeah, I sure. So. Then he's fine. No one died. Except for the entire planet of unnamed makers. Yeah, yeah. but I think I'm stopping to count. I think I'm not going to count civilizations that die before the episode starts for dramatic purposes. Yeah. Anymore. Because That's it's fair. just, we're down to the, like the hundreds of billions and it's depressing. We yeah. also do not know what happened to the unnamed auxiliary control technician who was pushed back into his chair. I'm assuming he's fine. I, that or he smashed into a thousand pieces and died instantly. Seems he's very fragile. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you your count? Uh, ten ladies. I'm only counting the various ladies as one. Despite but they're how played many... by twins. That's two yeah. ladies. Yeah, including twins. There's like the Trudys, so the Barbaras, the Annabelle. But we only saw three series, and assuming that all three of those are twins, that's six ladies on the planet surface, plus three Four but members of the What court. about the circle of models at the end? I was only... Okay, so for each lady circle series, we see only three three of the lady series that are named. And assuming each of those is actually two ladies on screen at once, using various visual effects, that's still only six ladies, and then there were four crew members who were ladies. I don't believe you, but I'm also not willing to argue with you, and I'm definitely not willing to go back and watch that episode no. ever again. No. So I think we just put a stake in it. Yeah, okay. and uh, three people of color. All right. Okay. So thank you for listening to us despair about iMud. Next episode will be better. Maybe. What's the next episode? Maybe not a killer robot? What's the next episode? That would be nice. Wolf in the Fold, isn't it? Oh, I love that episode so I think much. it is. I not do, don't remember. It's a murder mystery! Yes, yeah. If it murder is. mystery! Oh, it's not the one where Scotty is suspected to murder yes, someone? Yes, it is! Yeah. Oh, Strippers, Ooh. yay! Uh, where all these costumes come from. I have to say, though, I am actually really looking forward to... Because this is, like, one of those episodes where it's, like, the episode itself is not what I would call good, but it does lay groundwork for better things that happen later on in canon. Fine. Like, well, we get to see, like, the 60s view on artificial life, and then we fast forward to, like, the completely different discourse of the 90s, and we have data, which is a totally different kind of artificial... I'm excited. It's interesting. Fine. I'm just upset that this S season started out really great and has just, like, rapidly disintegrated into garbage. I assume that's when they started introducing LSD into the (laughs) workplace water cooler. (laughs) Yeah, that would explain a lot. Yeah, so please do remember to rate and review us on your podcast downloader of choice. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh... Yeah, stay away from them sex bots. Mm -hmm. You don't know where they've been. Ugh. Ugh. Ugh.